best job I ever had that prepared me for this job, it was being a camp counselor. <laughs> a camp counselor because it's your needs come last. And I think about those moments where I'm a <laughs> young college, you know, summer after my freshman year in college, and we're on a canoe trip and it's disaster city and the canoe with the girls sleeping bags get soaked. I'm giving up my my sleeping bag. I'm the last one to eat. You learn and trying and the more the disaster, the more I had to channel at 18, they're looking to me. And it was so many great experiences. So I wish, truthfully, I wish every one of our players, I, I've said this for years, push a pause button, let them go be a camp counselor because you learn it's not about you. Joined by Mary Wise, head coach of the University of Florida women's volleyball team, entering, I think, your 30th year at Florida, 30, 34th year as, as a Division I head coach, and incredibly nearing 1,000 collegiate wins, which is a uh, you know, 40 or so to go, but 1,000 is pretty close. So good morning, and, and thanks for taking some time. My pleasure. Yeah, so we, as you know, we... The purpose of the discussion is talking about leading during tough times. Uh, it seems easier, at least on the surface to the external world, world, it's easier to lead when you're winning. It's easier to lead when all are doing well. But the last six or seven months, it's been a tough time for all. So I'm trying to uh, gain some comparisons to coaches and PTA presidents and Fortune 50 CEOs who are all going through different leadership challenges right now. So let's just start there of six months of COVID and how are you handling your team different from how you've dealt with your team in the past? Well, I, I think um, I'll first address what it was like back in March, you know, when, when they went home and it happened so quickly, we thought we were going to play a spring uh, non-traditional season competition on a Saturday we're in practice on Friday and had to text them all, no, you're all going home. And we uh, quickly got them flights, those that had to fly. And, and, but we thought, I mean, there's going to be a lot of things that we're going to go. I can't believe at that time we thought this was true. Right. Um, and that was that they'd be back maybe by, you know, in a few weeks. And so when that was evident, that wasn't happening, you know, how to, how to stay, connected and we had no idea what the fall season was going to look like um, and can we keep coaching and so we tried we did a um, we did a book club we had them watch more video of other uh, play, great players to do a modeling exercise so we we kept our players fairly busy not to do busy work but connected to go we will get back and when we get back these are skills that we'd like to ha develop that will help us in the long term so that was we put a lot of attention and time into that and then and then there was in those months in the summer where I felt like I spent most of my time as a epidemiologist and training trying to figure out okay if we come back how does it look and what are the protocols because no one knows you know, this is a first for all of us. And at every level from the NCAA to an athletic administration to a, each sport is different. And so here we were volleyball, the first indoor sport to play during the pandemic. And 
and what what protocols are needed to keep us safe. And there was no the, there was no dialogue at the very top to to bring in at the NCAA level. Go okay, this is meaning the details. So yes, there was some you know higher level um, suggestions and recommendations, but but not, you know, how do you handle a team meeting and, and what do you do at timeouts and what, how about the balls? And we were just making it up on the fly. And it was incredibly exhausting I, I, because I wasn't coaching. I was do, part operations, part epidemiologist. So that was the summer months to get back. And then, then it, um, I did not think we'd play until the NCAA changed the ruling to give it what was called extended eligibility for players that we could play, but they don't lose a year of eligibility. And without that, I don't think we'd be playing. I know we wouldn't be playing right now. So, so then it went into the coaching mode of, okay, now we're back coaching, but I still had to wear that other hat of, and I keep calling it epidemiologist because that's what we were forced to do. So those were the challenges where normally our lane is, it's not that narrow. We, we do a lot of juggling, you know, as, as a coach, lots of, of things you're dealing with but nothing like this. And the other piece is the social justice moment for our, the awakening for our players that they have a voice. Add that component too. To have both at the same time, it's fairly daunting, um, but that was part of it. Yeah, so when you, when you talk through that over the last six months, I also think it's maybe the first moment in time where leaders and coaches have had to do this virtually. Normally you're in person with your student athletes, or you know, if you're uh, a boss with employees, this is the time when you actually have to lead and coach via text solely or video. How, how did that change? Did you feel comfortable with that? Or was that just a, a work in progress? Definitely a work in progress. And I think that they, the challenges we faced are probably like all the other folks that you've been talking with. You know, what's it like to be in a Zoom call where the feedback, there is none. You ask a question and you see all the faces. So I I did learn a couple of tricks. One, the breakout meetings were really important. So I may address the entire team, but then we go into our breakout rooms, small groups with uh, two assistants and myself. We'd each take a group. So there was easier interaction. Um, Some things I would do is I might, uh, not might, I did. I would get in touch with a, a senior uh, or one of our team leaders and give them a heads up. Hey, this is what we're going to be talking about. I'm going to ask this question. I could really use your feedback for you to think about, you know, like a plant yeah. just to start the discussion. So those are the things that I learned because the zoom call just, you know, I'd see faces, but it's so I've been on them on the other end. It's really hard to, to get honest feedback and reading the room is a little, it. It is easier to read the room, a Zoom room, than it is with the mask. When you're, let me tell you what the hardest thing is coaching, is coaching players, where this is all you see. And, and one of the, the most important things a coach can do is read the room. And, and you do that by the facial expressions and the, and the um, non-feedback that you get from players. We're not getting those. So reading their eyes, I've asked the players, when I'm talking to you, if you would help me by nodding, that you hear, that you're listening, that you understand, it really, really helps me. But we have some players that's just not in their nature. You know, they're just very stoic. I have no idea what they're thinking, especially with the mask. 
Yeah, and I was going to ask that. You, you kind of jumped into it with pulling out a, a captain or a leader, and certainly when you go into positions in smaller groups. But how do you lead or coach differently from a team to an individual? Some, I imagine, are high performers or recruits or on the board in eighth grade somewhere, and others are, are walking in late and freshmen and seniors and outgoing and introverts. So a leading and coaching style for the differences of kids. Well, I think that is always the case is that, you know, we treat them all fairly, but not the same, you know, one of those standard lines that is used. Mm -hmm. And one of the keys is for me is what's their, what's their button, you know, what's their why to what, why they're doing this and then how can I help them? And that is so much easier to find and learn when you're interacting face-to-face. I had, honestly, it was a recent epiphany. It was in a discussion. We asked one of our returning players to get on a Zoom call with our booster club. And that was just to, you know, talk about our matches and what's going on. And I I was doing the question answer. And I I said that there, there, there's some things that are so different now during COVID that I really miss. And I talked about after matches, I miss the interaction that our players are allowed to have with young fans on the court and the autograph sessions. I really miss that. And I said, the other thing is, I just really miss being able to interact with you players in a very relaxed, uh, organic way, be it at a team meal or in the on the plane, or they come by the office None of that's happening. And what Thayer said is in a very honest way, she said, yeah, it feels more like a business. Mm. And that like really touched me. Of, yeah, it does because the, the moments of, for, for female athletes, so they, some of their special times is that it, it's about the teammates and the interactions they have and the bonding. They're not allowed to be in the locker room. Okay, well, how you're taking a major piece of their whole experience away. They have assigned seats on buses, assigned seats only with their on-campus roommates at meals. We are missing out on so much of what makes the collegiate experience special. And so I had that epiphany of like, okay, I've got to work harder here. I've got to create opportunities in a safe environment to still connect with the players. And I think volleyball, and I, I mentioned you earlier, I've got a 17, 13, and 10-year-old, and my my two oldest, Kate and Elizabeth, are liberos and play volleyball. And the sport, and I've been around a lot of sports, volleyball seems to, and women's volleyball seems to be the one with the most amount of teamwork and, and touching and hugging on every point. Win a point, get aced on a point. They come together each time. So it feels like that sport too, that this is more, dis- it's disruptive to everybody. So I don't want to, I want to call that out, but it, but in terms of the routine of a volleyball player, it feels more disruptive on a point by point. For sure. It, early on, there was discussions of that we were not going to let uh, our players aren't, weren't going to be allowed to, we call it reconnect between points. That is so ingrained, just like your daughter. It's so such a part of a volleyball player's DNA, slapping hands, embracing, coming together between points, win or lose. And I thought, I know some teams were doing like low fives, you know, touching feet. And I just, my gut was like, 
that's just, I just don't see that happening. So I took the, my thought was, if we're playing, I mean, let's, let's hope we can play. And if it's safe enough to play, it's safe enough for them to be volleyball players and not, not take away those pieces of our, of the athletic experience that I say is, is who we are as volleyball players. Mm. How much of your coaching and leadership skills do you think were, you were born with, you were taught, you learned along the way? Oh, that's a great question. For I'd like to think most I've learned and I'm still learning. That's the piece, you know, I, um, to the COVID, um, one of our former players who's playing professionally in France, she sent me a text right when this all started. Uh, we came back and she said that I very egotistically told her once, I don't, I didn't mean it <laughs> egotistically, but when she repeated it back to me, it sounded that way, that I told her at one point, there's nothing I haven't seen in 30 years of coaching. I've seen it all. And she goes, remember when you said that? Not so fast, Mary Wise. She was exactly right. So these, this piece of, yeah, I, I didn't take a class in this. I didn't learn this early in my career. This is all brand new. But in terms of, I think that some of the leadership skills um, that I think um, an education background, uh, being in a family of teachers, of, of empowering others. I also, but I will tell you the greatest uh, lesson, I, and I wish I could do this for all our players. I think the best job I ever had that prepared me for this job, it was being a camp counselor. Hmm. A camp counselor because it's your needs come last. And I think about those moments where I'm a hmm. young college, um, you know, summer after my freshman year in college and we're on a canoe trip and it's disaster city and the canoe with the girls sleeping bags gets soaked. I'm giving up my my sleeping bag. I'm the last one to eat. You learn and trying to, and the more the disaster, the more I had to channel at 18, they're looking to me. And it was so many great experiences. So I wish, truthfully, I wish every one of our players, I, I've said this for years, push a pause button, let them go be a camp counselor because you learn it's not about you. Mm. Your needs are second. I've done a lot of these conversations and I've never heard the line, your need comes last. And that's a, it's a fantastic line. So you talked about, you learned a lot along the way, uh, particular people, peers, role models, colleagues, friends that you look to for coaching and leadership, um, or have liked to model what others have done. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, be it, be it as a, a camper, those camp counselors. I was very fortunate when I played at Purdue many, many years ago. Uh, I played for a woman who, Carol Dewey, who, who is one of the all-time winningest coaches in the Big Ten history. And as a young coach, she was my mentor. Before I figured out who I was, I was just pretty much trying to be like her. And I think about young coaches if you, and especially for female, if, if females have only been coached by males, then that is their paradigm of how they're supposed to act. And I think that over the years, I think women coaches in the sport of volleyball, so I'm just going to say my own experience, but I, women coaches that I've seen fail, and I'm not talking wins and losses, but just not 
you know, it just didn't work for them. I think you can trace how many of them only played for males. Hmm. Because I think if a female tries to act like a male, it does not work. Uh, and, and if I, I'm just so lucky that I played for a female coach. And so as I'm learning my own way, I'm finding my own voice. I refer back to lessons learned from her, from Carol Dewey. And, and I didn't know it at the time, but I think years removed, I realized exactly what I was doing. And, and also learned, you know, not that Carol was a very calm, she's much more um, easygoing, a very, and I, that's not me. And so early on when I tried to be like that, yeah, I mean, my first match in my career, I could do that. And so finding my own voice, and that would be the other piece is learning how important it is to be authentic. I think is there is so important that you find your values and you hold those values true. Then we're going to make mistakes along the way. I'm learning. I've been in this a long time. I'm still learning. I'm still making mistakes. But as long as the, my core values aren't compromised and I'm not trying to be somebody I'm not, there's the key. When, when I look at your social feed, because that's what one does these days, and I look at the past year, there's a there's some volleyball, plenty of volleyball in there. Want to get back on the court, want to see these young women again, um, maybe some recruits. But there's a lot on social justice and masks and voting and military. And I, I think an annual community service around Thanksgiving, just as a leader and a coach, uh, you, you, you just talk about it, uh, how much it is the sport, how much of it is the person. And in four years, most of these women are now have the next 50 years of their life, hopefully a lot more to do other things in addition to volleyball. It is the number one that, that I've held true is that the person is always more important than the player. And that we we may address their skills and that, but not who they are as people, meaning we judge their skills, but I don't believe in judging them as, as people, not judging, growing. Yes. My job is to help grow them. And so the, the opportunity from social justice awareness for our female athletes, especially female athletes of color to have this moment in time, I I was so grateful, and I, I told my the, my director, my boss, that I'm so grateful that I'm coaching during this moment, this moment mm. that female athletes, athletes of both genders, have this chance for their voices to be heard, and I'm getting to witness that and, and empower them. And so, you know, it, what we talked about with our players is that who they vote for, that is a personal decision that does not have to be shared. I just want them to understand the importance of voting and take pride in it. And um, what are you going to do with the national anthem? That is a personal choice that we don't judge our teammates for. But what we do is we embrace their decision and that we each have a why. When I was 18 years old, I stood because we, that's what we did. I didn't, I did not vote my first opportunity, you know, and I, I've told the players this, I'm so proud of them and using these opportunities. And so but to your question is if I only coach the player, I am missing out on the very best part of the job, 
the very best part of the job is helping grow the person and seeing them as the as a glimpse into who they will be as an adult. And that's by far the best part of the job. And that's really the best answer for me to close a conversation. But I have one more that I'm always intrigued by. Um, but, the, but the person is uh, really important. And you mentioned it earlier about mistakes and learning. So I'm curious if you went back to the beginning or even now, it, can you point to a particular mistake, a, a leadership flaw that you you would have changed or how you changed to overcome that? Oh, I get, there's many. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I just take one. I will say um, if I could have given my younger self perspective on wins and losses, and that as here's here's the difficulty as a coach, we are hired and fired based on wins and losses. And so the business aspect of this, of our job, it's winning and losing. But if that is all I looked at, I would, and early on in my career, that's how I judged myself. So bad that if I, if we lost a match, I, I wouldn't want to, my, you know, I tell my husband, no, I don't want to go out to eat this week. I don't want to be, you know, seeing, you know, People in the in the community think, you know, she should be watching video. And he would say, no one's saying that. But that's how obsessed I was with a result. And, and it took, somebody could have told me that, but I'm not sure I would have listened. I almost had to like mature to realize just like we don't judge their, our players on their results, nor should I do the same with me. And, and that's what the perspective I would have given my younger self. And that's The Bond. There's plenty more to come. <laughs>